Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning. Well, oh, I got a whistle out of somebody. Thanks, Mom. Glad you didn't know you were here this morning. Well, my name's Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here, and we're really glad that you've come this morning. I want to say, while we were singing that song, All Hail King Jesus, I couldn't help but think of this story in the Bible that tells us uh, one day Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, and As he was coming into the city, there was a crowd of people, his followers, who had gathered there. And as he entered the city, they began to praise him as their king. Maybe some of them even said something like, all hail King Jesus. The day that, that he did that was actually the Sunday before he was crucified. It was the Sunday before he rose from the dead one week later. It was actually... On this day, we call it Palm Sunday, actually, in the church calendar. And we call it Palm Sunday because one of the ways that the people who were gathered that day to welcome him into the city took palm branches and waved them at him, which is really kind of a funny, weird, crazy thing if you think about it. They waved them at him as he was coming into the town. I grew up kind of in a church where um, on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, everybody who came in the door got a palm branch. Did you, did you have a church like that too? Some of, you, some of you did. Everybody got a palm branch coming into the door and at some point, all of the kids in the church would come into the room. And we're all waving our palms, singing something like, All Hail King Jesus, which if you know what's going on and you know the story, it's awesome. But if you have no idea what's going on, what a weird cult you just walked into. <laughs> what in the, that's why we don't have palms here, because you might not know what's going on if people are shaking a branch in your face. Well, they knew what was going on. They were trying to extol Jesus as their king that they believed was coming. Now, they believed that a king was coming, the Jewish people did, they believed a king was coming to rescue them. They had many different beliefs about this. It's, it's kind of like our beliefs today about Jesus coming again. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. This morning, actually, someone asked me, what do you think about this? Uh, what, what do you think uh, this is going to look like when Jesus comes back? And I said to them, I have no idea. <laughs> They're like, well, you're supposed to know. You're the pastor guy. You're supposed to have all the answers about that. And, and I'll tell you this, that regarding the return of Jesus to this earth, there are many different beliefs within the church that many different Christians have had over the years. And the cool thing about it is, is that each of those can find its interpretation or, or its place in the Bible, which is why there are so many different people who believe so many different things about it. Now, just like we have many different ideas about what that would look like for us, they had many different ideas about what Jesus's first coming would look like for them. They referred to Jesus, or, or Jesus, we call him Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, we use it as a proper name. In fact, if you look Jesus up in the encyclopedia or a dictionary, you'll see it like Christ is his last name. Well, it's actually not a last name. Christ is, in fact, a title. 
It's a title that means something like anointed one, which essentially means the chosen one, the, the one that God has a, appointed to do a very specific work. Now, this word Christ comes from a Greek word that was actually borrowed from a Hebrew word that we use and say Messiah. So the word Christ means the same thing as the word Messiah. So to say Jesus Christ is to say Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the, the Jews of first century Israel were expecting this person that they referred to as the Messiah. They believed that he would come and rescue him. And while there were many different ideas about what exactly it would look like, who he would be, where he would be from, what the, are the things he would do, there were some constants among what they did believe. N.T. Wright is a New Testament scholar who has this to say about the Messiah and the Jewish belief of him. He says, the main task of the Messiah over and over again in their theology is the liberation of Israel and her reinstatement as the true people of the creator God. They believe that this would often involve military action, which can be seen in terms of judgment as in a law court. And it will also involve action in relation to the Jerusalem temple, which must be cleansed and or restored and or rebuilt. So what were they expecting this Messiah, this chosen one from God to do for them? They were expecting him to set them free. They'd been under Roman oppression for about a century at this point. And before that, they'd been under oppression from the Greeks, the Persians, the Babylonians. They'd been subjugated by other larger world empires for centuries. And they believed that God would send a man who would be their king and would set them free. They also believed that this king that God would send, this Messiah, would come and cleanse their temple. And what that meant was he would get rid of the corruption that existed there. He would kick out the people who weren't supposed to be there, who were taking advantage of God's worshipers while they were there. And one really important thing about this Messiah, they expected to set them free and they expected to cleanse the temple, was that they expected him to do so with an army behind him. They believed that he would march into town and not just set them free with a great speech, but actually overthrow Roman rule and that a war would take place and he would be victorious and defeat their enemies in that way. Now the Bible gives us many clues all throughout the Old Testament, many promises that were given about this Messiah that would come, which is why they had different ideas about it, which is why they believed that God was sending them someone because God given, had given promises. In fact, in the book of Matthew, which is where we'll be studying today in Matthew chapter 21, in the book of Matthew, there are 15 times in that book where Matthew refers to an Old Testament passage and said, this was this was talking about Jesus before he came. He looks at a point in Jesus' life and says, Jesus did this to fulfill this promise that God made many years ago. We're going to read one of those passages where Jesus fulfilled one of those promises, prophecies in chapter 21 of Matthew today. But this word fulfilled is important for us to understand as to what Jesus was actually doing because it carries with it the idea of actually completing a project which is undone. I know some of you have some unfinished house projects that you're working on. I have one of my own actually. When my wife and I moved into our home uh, in November of 2020, there was a closet in our living room that was not built 
in behind the wall. It was like built out. So it was just really stupid and I hated it. And I, I said, before I even moved in, we, we bought the house, we closed on it. We weren't gonna move in for another month or so. And I said, I wanna tear this closet out while I'm in work mode before we move in because it's just in the way. It, 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 we can have so much more room. We can, we can put a couch over there in that corner. Isn't it gonna be great? And my wife says, rightly so, but just think about all we can use that closet for. We can put board games in it. We can put all of our scented holiday candles in there so I don't have to go to the attic and pull out the gingerbread one when it's Christmas time. It's just in the closet. She won, which is how that works. And uh, over time, I really began to realize, well, this is, you know what? I'm really glad we have this closet here because we have so much stuff in there. We needed that storage space. I didn't want to tear it out anymore. Well, then we found out we were going to have a baby and my wife started nesting. Like we, okay, so we need to do this in the nursery. We should paint the nursery this color and, and, and we should do this with, with that room. And you know what? While we're at it, I've been thinking that closet in the living room, we should go ahead and tear that closet out. I think it's just in the way. And I said, that is a great idea. Something I wish we'd have thought of a year ago. Like a good husband, I, one day while she was out of town visiting some friends, I tore that closet out and patched up the drywall. Now I can do, and almost, if you've got the right tools, almost idiot can hang, any idiot can hang drywall, which is why I was able to hang it. Right, Jim? Like, okay, which is why I was able to do it. The problem with that is after you hang the drywall, it still has to get finished. You got to put the putty on there. Well, it's something I've never done before, so I thought I should probably just do it myself. <laughs> and so I did. And, you know, months have gone by, and this is an unfulfilled promise because we had a baby, we got COVID. Now we're just waiting on Jesus to fulfill that project <laughs> for us. And I tell you that story because the word fulfilled that's used by Matthew carries with it the same idea of finishing a project to completion. Everything's done. The trim is up. The wall's been painted. You can't see where the, the drywall butted up against the other piece. Everything is done and finished. That's the idea with this word fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled. He completed every promise that God made about who this Messiah would be. And we read about it here in Matthew 21 verse 1. We'll put the words up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. It says this, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, this is Jesus and some of his disciples, they came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. If I got up in the morning and started my car to warm it up, like I did this morning before I left, and when I came back out to get in it and someone was getting in it to steal it, and I said, what are you doing? And they answered, well, the Lord needs this. That would not be good enough for me. <laughs> it was somehow good enough for them. I don't know if Jesus had worked out this gangster password with them, like just the Lord needs it is the password. I don't know what's going on, but they're committing grand theft donkey and... Verse four, this took place, the Bible says, to fulfill or to complete the promise that was spoken by the prophet. 
So why is Jesus doing, doing all this? Why is there a donkey tied there? Why is there a password? Uh, is there something significant about the donkey? I don't really know, but here's what we do know about the story. Matthew's telling us pretty plainly, this happened so that we could see Jesus completes the promises that God made. Verse Four, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, this is a quotation from the Old Testament, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. He's humble and he's mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden, a 500 year old promise being fulfilled, being completed by Jesus here in Jerusalem. Verse six, the disciples went and Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on the cloaks. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And others that followed, and others that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. And they cut down, I lost my place here. They cut down palm branches, verse eight. Branches from the trees, these are palm branches, and they spread them on the road as well. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Now the palm branches that they cut down is why some churches will shake the branches at you when you come into the door. It comes from this story here in this moment where they're hailing and extolling Jesus as the king. And they say this really weird word, Hosanna, which we don't say on a normal basis around here. It's not an English word, obviously, but it, it literally means save us. And what they're doing is, is quoting a passage from Psalm 118, a passage from the Old Testament, speaking of the Messiah, which says, save us, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they say this to Jesus, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Save us, you king. When they say son of David, what they're saying to him is we believe that you are the rightful king of Israel, the rightful descendant of David, our honored king. Save us as our king. Verse 10, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? As you can imagine, the, the, the crowd that had gathered and the noise that was being made and people screaming and shouting and shaking their palm branches all around, shouting, save us, O king. Now people are like, who is this? What's going on? And the crowd said, verse 11, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. I want to ask that same question. Who is this? Who is this Jesus Christ? We've already established that it's not just a name, Jesus Christ, but it's in fact a title. We've talked a little bit about what that title means, that he is the Messiah, the one promised by God to fulfill all of the promises God had made. But who is he? Well, who did they think he was? Well, first we see they believed he was the king. They call him the son of David. They treat him as though he's the king who's come to conquer. The, the palm branch was a symbol of royalty for them. The fact that they laid their cloaks down harkens back to a practice that occurred in a few Old Testament passages where they laid their coats down in front of a ruler, in front of their king. What they're saying is, Jesus, you are the king. So who is Jesus Christ? I believe he's a king. He's a king practically according to his lineage because he's of the line of David. 
He's descended from King David. So, so every uh, male descendant of a, a certain line from the King David would from King David would become the king of Israel. And it had been years since one of David's sons had sat on the throne of Israel. Jesus, being from David's family, deserves to sit on that throne as a king. So I believe he's a king because his, his genealogy would say so. I also believe he's a king because the other part of his genealogy would say so. He's the son of God. The Bible tells us that he's not just a flesh and blood human being, but he's also completely God wrapped with flesh and blood. The Bible would tell us that Jesus Christ is in fact the one who created all of the universe. He's the one who's actually holding all of the universe together with his powerful words. The Bible says Jesus Christ is a king because he was born that way into this earth and because he's existed from all eternity as our creator God. Jesus Christ is a king. But here's the thing uh, that was challenging for those people who gathered to meet him that day he entered in Jerusalem. And I think sometimes challenging for us as well is that while we may accept that Jesus is a king, and they certainly did, he's often not the king that we think he is. He was certainly not the king they thought he was. They expected, if you remember, that not only would he set them free, not only would he cleanse the temple, but that he would do so with an army behind him. Now, typically, when a king entered a town in the ancient world, he did so in one of two ways, either riding in a chariot that was pulled by horses, which proclaimed to the city, I'm here to fight. I brought my war horses, I brought my chariot, and I intend to conquer this city. Or he would come in riding on a donkey, which there's nothing about a donkey that says war. <laughs> a donkey's slower than a horse. It doesn't startle like a horse does. A donkey's not going to run when it hears a trumpet blast. So a king would come into a town when he was entering it by peaceful means. He would come in seated on a donkey. This is a clear picture that Jesus is making to them there. That, that yes, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and let you refer to me as your king, as the Messiah. But you need to know, I'm not going to fix this thing the way you think I am. I'm not going to set you free in the way that you think I am. He's the king, but he's not the king we often think he is. They wanted him to overthrow the Romans and restore the throne of David in Jerusalem. Jesus said, you have a greater enemy than flesh and blood. You have a greater enemy than this worldly kingdom which has subjugated you. That enemy is sin. How about the enemy of myself? Jesus came to defeat those enemies and put them to shame, and have victory over them, not rewrite world history. He didn't come to change the governments of the world. In fact, the Roman Empire lasted for several hundred more years after Jesus came. He was the king, but not the king that they thought he was. And here's another thing I think about Jesus as the king, is that he's the king everybody wants. Most of us just don't realize that yet. He's the king everybody needs. We, we know that. Those of us who, who love him and follow him and believe him, we know that he's the king that everybody needs. But I believe he's the king that everybody actually wants. 
we might just not know it yet. What do I mean by that? Deep down, we all want to live free. We all want to live in peace. We all want to live in comfort. We all want to know we have a purpose. We all want to know that life matters. We all want to know that, that all that exists around us is not all there is to life. We all want that deep down, and Jesus is the only one who can give those things to us. He's the king that we all want. Problem is, most people just haven't realized that yet. I believe this should change the way we, or at least inform the way we present the truth of who Jesus is to people. Because if we presented him as a person who is not opposed to them, but actually the one who is the answer and solution for all of their deepest needs, he becomes so much more appealing, and so, so much more easy to love him and accept him. So I have to answer the question for myself, who is this? Who do I think Jesus is? Now, before I answer that question, I, I need to acknowledge this, that I need a king. I need a king. And that's hard for me to say because I'm a person who wants to be in complete control of everything. <laughs> I, I want <laughs> so much so that uh, someone in our household has put off that project for as long as it took to change our mind about it. I want, I want to be in control. I, I, I want to rule. I, I want to be in charge. So when I say I need a king, that grates at me on the inside. But here's why I know I need a king is because there are, are, are deep-seated issues within me that, that, that I've never been able to heal on my own. But Jesus has changed so much within me it was only Jesus who could do it. I needed someone else who wasn't me to come and make a difference. The song we sang today, Jesus, you are my deliverance. TJ said it before we began to, to sing that he's the only one who can come and bring us victory. I wonder how many of us are fighting a battle right now that we feel like we're losing because we're fighting it on our own and in our own strength. And we've done all that we can and we've, we've tried all that we could and, and we've talked to as many people as possible and we've hid as much of it as we could from others and we haven't been able to fix it at all. All we need to do is give it to Jesus and maybe see him, the king who can actually do something about it, fix it for us. I need a king. I need a king who's not myself. I need a king who can actually fix it for me. I need a king who can actually make a difference in my life. And I can't do that. And I bet you can't do that for yourself either. So he asked a question just like they did in verse 10. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Well, I think we, we got to let him answer for himself. And he already has. He already has through the Bible. He's answered who he is. Verse five, it says, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. I mentioned this is a quotation from the Old Testament. It's actually a combination of two different verses from the Old Testament. One from uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 62, which I will read that to you here. It says this, behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, 
Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes, and his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. This is part of the verse there. And then the other one is in Zechariah 9, 9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. Matthew took these two verses, put them together, and said Jesus fulfilled both of these prophecies. Your king is coming to you. Your salvation is coming to you. When we ask the question, who is this Jesus Christ as our king? Not only is he the king, but he's the king who brings salvation. The name Jesus literally can be translated from its, it's borrowed from a Hebrew name. You, you know, we do that with a lot of names, right? Like my name, Joseph, in German would be Yosef or Italian would be Giuseppe. I was talking to a girl many years ago who asked me if Joe is short for anything, and I told her Joe Mama it is short for. So, so we do that all the time with, with names. In different languages, they, are, they mean something else. Jesus is, is, is that same thing. It's called a transliteration. Jesus, the name Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua. So when we read that name in the Old Testament, it's the same name that Jesus would have had. That's what, probably what they would have called him back then. Jesus is just the Greek transliteration of it. It's the Joe Mama version of Joseph. The name Joshua, we are not really told this in the New Testament, but we are in the Old Testament. The name Joshua means the Lord is my salvation. The prophets promised that one day, You'll be able to identify the king who rides into your town, humble and mounted on a donkey, because his name will be, the Lord is bringing you salvation. It's almost as though he's saying to them very clearly, hey, the king's name is Jesus. And they missed it. Because he wasn't the king that they thought he was. Isaiah's promising his people that someone named the Lord is my salvation is coming to help them and they missed it. How do we know that they missed it? Well, a week later, the same city that extols him as the king by Friday has had him put on trial and executed. At his trial, before Jesus is crucified, there's a crowd of people who are shouting for his crucifixion and demanding his blood. And it's believed by many scholars that a lot of the same people who are in this crowd were in the crowd that said, Hosanna, save us, son of David. Why? Because he comes into town and he gets arrested. I thought you were gonna, I thought you were gonna beat these guys up, Jesus. Are there... If they're controlling you now, oh, no, 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 no. You're not the king that we wanted. You're not the king that we thought you were. I wonder how many times have I done that to Jesus? Something didn't go my way. Or I've been waiting for a long time for him to come through for me on something to, to fix an issue for me. And I, and, I, and I stop thinking that he's the king that I thought he was. And maybe that's true. Maybe my thinking about him is incorrect. 
Here's what we need to know. If, if he never did another thing for me, if he never took care of anything else in my life, if I, if I never had any assurance that, that Jesus was handling my problems, that he was by my side, that he was with me, he laid down his life for my sins. He has washed away everything that stood between me and God. He has offered us complete, full, and free forgiveness. We can know God because of what Jesus has done. If there was never anything else that he offered to us, that is enough. That's the king he is. When we embrace that and accept that, the joy and peace and truth of who he is overcomes all other things. And when you're settled in knowing that God loves me no matter what because of what Jesus has done, very often when you encounter a battle that you just don't know how you're going to overcome it, your attitude can become one of, I don't even know if this is going to work out, but I know that God loves me. Jesus is the king who brings salvation from our sin. He doesn't promise to put our candidate in the White House. He hasn't promised to give me the job I want. He hasn't promised to make my marriage work. Now, I think he can do those things. I don't think he's limited in that, but that is, those are not the promises of this Messiah. The promise of our Messiah, of our King Jesus, is to set us free from our sin, something that only he can do. Very often, I think that we put all those other things on him and try to work our own sin out on our own. <laughs> and we try to fix our own problems, our own sinful issues ourselves. And, and, and we try... We try as hard as we can and we, we bear down and, and white knuckle it through and, and just hope that, that maybe if I, if I just try harder the next time, I'll be able to do it. And we never can. There's always the return of, Lord, will you forgive me for that again? Or maybe even this, have you prayed this one like I have? Lord, forgive me for this thing I'm about to do. That's usually as I'm leaving the parking lot of McDonald's. Forgive me for that which I'm about, about to do. We can't do it on our own is what I'm saying. We need a king to come and set us free because our real enemy is our sinful nature which has conquered humanity. And Jesus comes, lays down his life on the cross. He fights by dying because that's the only way to put away this sinful nature is he dies and he puts it to death and it's thrown into a grave, and because Jesus had never sinned, and death is the penalty for sin, death can't hold him down. And on Sunday morning, after his crucifixion on Friday, the Sunday after, he walked out of the grave, which we'll celebrate next week. When he walked out of that grave into new life, after putting to death our sin, he promised us a new life as well. He conquered our greatest enemy by laying down his life. It is so opposed to any idea that we have about what victory looks like. It's so the opposite of what we want. We want to flex our muscles and show our strength and, and, and proclaim how, how great we are and how, how much we can handle all of our problems and how everything's fine. When it just might not be 
And the only one who can handle it is Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful that you have defeated our enemy. We're so thankful that you have taken away the the sting of sin in our lives. We're so thankful that you have washed away all of that stain. We're so thankful that you bring us that kind of salvation. Lord, I pray for those of us who have our eyes off of what you've done for us by, by laying down your life for us. Maybe some of us who are disappointed in you because you didn't show up like we thought you would. Or you didn't do the thing that we wanted you to do. You didn't turn out to be the king that we thought you were, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts. Show us that you're the one who is ruling and reigning over all of life, over all of eternity, over all of our sin, and it can have no dominion over us. Lord, I thank you that uh, even though we're confronted daily with the reality that we can't do it on our own, you provide us strength. And so oftentimes, Lord, even as we feel like we may go from failure to failure, Lord, you also provide those times where we go from victory to victory. Lord, I pray for more of those for all of us. More victory after victory. Because it's already in you and what you've done. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 